Good morning. Good morning. There we go. I need your help today. Uh, thanks for joining us. We're glad that you're here. Today we're starting a brand new series, walking through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra's right over there. He was stoked about that. And uh, not that Ezra. It'd be crazy if he was here, right? He'd be super old. Um, but we're going to be diving into the book of Ezra today, walking through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. We don't normally give announcements during this time, but there's one particular thing that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, the whole month of March, we have the opportunity to host the Youth Art Gallery for the Shenandoah Arts Community right out here in our lobby. The last time I checked, we have 109 pieces of art that are going to be on display, and we're going to have opportunities to have gallery time where families can come in and see their children's uh, artwork, and it's an opportunity for us to serve the community. And so we have a Sign Up Genius page that's going to be available. It's already available now. If you go to the Go Time website um, on on our page on our website, you can find that. If you just scan the QR code, how awesome is that? Can we put our hands together for Drew putting that together? You can literally go out in the lobby, scan the QR card QR code. It will take you to that section of the website, and you can sign up to volunteer for the art festival. We just need a couple people each night. And so uh, you say, what do I do? You're here. You're just here. Uh, we need people in the building, uh, just a couple people, while the art gallery is there. We'll have a big opportunity. Uh, I believe it's the first Saturday in March. We're going to do a big open house, and we'll have food and uh, refreshments and all of that, and that'll be an opportunity for us to serve the community as well. If you want more information about that, come see me. Come see me for that particular event, but you can go to that section on the website and volunteer. This is a very simple way for you to step into go time, right? We're looking to go, live on mission 2% of our year. That's seven days of living on mission throughout the year. This is a really simple way. You don't have to travel to the other side of the world. You just got to come back to the building. Okay, so we're going to ask you to volunteer. I'd love in the next couple of weeks to have every slot filled. Can you help me with that? This section can help me with that, okay? Can you help me with that? Absolutely, okay. That didn't sound very convincing, but we want to give you the opportunity to sign up. Please turn to Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1. We're going to be walking over the next 12 weeks or so through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra 1, we're going to read 1 through 7, and then throughout the message we're going to look at different sections from chapter 2 as well. Um, chapter 2, we're not going to read all of it because it's a lot of lists, and those lists can seem unimportant, but they're hugely important about the details of who God is and how He has preserved and kept His people. Let's draw our attention to Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Now, 
that verse, those verses, that verse seems insignificant. But I, I want to draw your attention to a couple phrases so you can circle them, underline them, highlight them in your YouVersion app or whatever you're using to read the Scriptures this morning. I want you to see this. It says, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah had already given a message to his people. You can read back in the book of Jeremiah about that word, what that word was and what God had to say to his people. But it's God's word. God is speaking to his people, but then he doesn't just speak, he actually acts. God actually does something, and it says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, if you don't know who Cyrus, king of Persia was, he was a ruler in Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar. So if you go to the book of Daniel, which we studied last year together, you see that this is the continuation of the exile of the people of God. And Cyrus happens to be the next leader, and yet God speaks to him. He stirs him up to do something, and that something is to make a proclamation. Verse number two, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. We don't have time to unpack all the significance of what is being stated here, but essentially it's this, a wicked king is saying, God is God. And he needs a house built, and he's asked me to do it. And so I'm going to let all the sojourners, all the people who've been in exile, go back and do that. And I'm going to fund it. How amazing is that? Then rose up the heads of the fathers of the house of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were with them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. So if you're with us, you remember in the book of Daniel, the vessels that were used to worship God in the house of the Lord, in the temple, had been desecrated, and God punished the people of Babylon as a result, and Nebuchadnezzar and all the rulers underneath them, they were punished as a result of this idolatry. And now these same vessels that had once been used to worship God and had once been used to dishonor and be distracted away from God are now being brought back to God's people. 
to God's house. And so we see here at the beginning of this book, this big idea that it's a call to rise and rebuild the house of the Lord. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this today, the call to rise and rebuild the house of the Lord. He's calling us to rise and rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, these two books in particular are God's testimony of grace towards his people. It's a picture of him rescuing and delivering his people from exile in Babylon. And I want to tell you this this morning. It is God's way of showing every person that he keeps his promises. God keeps his promises in bringing his people back and establishing the house of the Lord as a city on a hill that would point to the glory of God. Did you know that the temple was meant to be a picture of God's love and his glory? Did you know, Mosaic, that that's what this house is supposed to be? This house is meant to be a picture of God's love and his grace and his kindness to you and me and to be a reflection to the city of Winchester of the glory of God. That's what this house is meant to be. So let me give you a little overview of these two books and how they will lay themselves out. Chapter 1 through 7 is the first wave of the Israelites returning to their homeland to rebuild the house of the Lord, to rebuild the temple. We're actually not introduced to Ezra until chapter 7. So how humbling is that? You, you write a book and your name is on the front of that book, and you don't get introduced till chapter 7. So we get introduced to Ezra in chapter 7, so you'll have to hang with us for a few weeks before you get to meet him. Chapters 8 through 10 are the renewal of God's word and the establishment of God's community. So the first half is just God bringing his people back. And once they're back, he wants them to be rooted and grounded underneath the word of God and to be connected to one another as the community of his people. And then all of Nehemiah is the people of God coming together. The basis of us coming together is being in the house of God, under the word of God, surrounded by the community of God, and then that's when the rebuild of the city can happen. The people of God come together to build a wall around the city and a wall that had been broken down and laid to ruins. Now, when you approach books like this, you can come to Ezra and Nehemiah, just like the book of Daniel, and think, well, this isn't real practical, because that was written so long ago for a people so long ago. How is this timely and practical for us? Well, in, is, in exile, Israel wept. They were spiritually distant unsure of God's promises, and caught in complete darkness, and yet these two books were written to show the faithfulness of God. I think that's pretty practical. 
Because you might be here today and you feel like you're wandering around in darkness. Maybe you're lamenting like I am some sadness and some hurt and some loss. Maybe you've experienced some heartbreak in the last year that you never thought was possible. Maybe it's led to a place where you're not sure if you can forgive someone. Maybe your relationships have fallen apart. Maybe you're just now feeling like the pandemic has finally run you over because things aren't the way that they said they were going to be, which is what they were before. Maybe you find yourself here this morning and you find yourself in tension in your relationships, or maybe inflation and recession have you feeling like, how are you going to pay your bills? Maybe you've experienced loss, and now you're coming out of the rubble and thinking, what's the most important thing I should do? And everyone and everywhere in your life is telling you to focus on you. And the book of Ezra tells us to focus on God. It tells us to build the house of God. To focus on seeking him first. To focus on trusting him and him alone. You see, this book is incredibly practical. And it's a big word for us because as we step into 2023... We're facing a moment where we need God as a church to show up. We're stepping into a moment where we've done some work to paint the house of the Lord, to paint the ceiling black and put a nice wood wall up and build a nice stage and put some graphics out on the walls. But we need God to provide this house for us. We're stepping into a moment here in 2023 where we need God to show up in a large and huge way, not only financially so we could afford to purchase this building, but we need God to show up and remind us that this place is about Him. It's about Him and His love and His grace and His renewal and His presence. And as we build God's house... We need to be reminded, like Ezra does, for the people of God, that it's about His glory and the restoration of His people. So as we engage this and step into a new and brighter future, there's a call for every single one of us to roll up our sleeves. To roll up our sleeves, to join hands together, and to rebuild the house of the Lord. And to be a part of the rebuild and renovation. That's why I'm stoked for us to study this book together. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is this. The rebuild begins with God. The rebuild begins with God. The very first verse in this book says that the word of the Lord by the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia. It caused him to do something. What did it cause him to do? It caused him to make a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and to put it into writing. That's significant. That the Lord 
cause this to happen. We need to understand that as we step into this moment, whether you're looking for personal renewal or for us collective renewal in the city of Winchester, whatever space you find yourself in this morning, the rebuild always starts with the Lord. It belongs to Him. It begins with God. Now, this verse doesn't hold as much significance to you and I as it would have the people who were hearing it the first time. They needed to be reminded that the rebuild begins with God. Because at this moment, in the very first verse of the book of Ezra, it had been 70 years. 70 years in exile. Some of you are here today and you feel like, man, your relationships, your friendships, maybe your job, you felt like you've been in exile. And, and we're not making light of that in comparison to Israel, but you can see that they have felt the weight and significance of their sin for a very long time. 70 years. 70 years of silence. 70 years of being slaves. 70 years of being away from their homeland. You see, in the 6th century B.C., Babylon was this growing force, this empire that had taken over that section of the known world, and they were revered and they were feared. And in 597 B.C., the first waves of attack took place around Israel, around Jerusalem. And they laid siege to the city, and it's not that they destroyed it, that's not what happened first. They just camped around it, and they waited them out. They starved them to death, and then they laid siege and took over the most important parts of the city. And what happened was Babylon then set up a puppet king, and his name was Zedekiah. And Zedekiah came in, and his responsibility was to do whatever Babylon wanted them to do. And once the city was overthrown, his responsibility was to rule over Judah and to rule over Jerusalem. But in 589 BC, Zedekiah decided to rebel against Babylon. And the result of this, you can read about in Chronicles, you can read about it in the book of Kings, and obviously in the book of Jeremiah. And what takes place in 589 BC is that Babylon is tired of Zedekiah, and they come and they lay waste to the city. They, they lay waste to the temple of God. There's nothing left. They lay ruins to the walls. They flatten everything. And all the people who are left living there are brought back as exiles. Now, we need to understand this because the house of God at this moment, Solomon had built it, and it has been destroyed. It's been laid to ruins. And rather than doing what makes sense, if we were to write the Bible the way that we think it should be written, Nehemiah would come before Ezra. We would think it would make sense to build the walls first so that we can build in safety, but God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and he understands the significance of the house of the Lord. So before the city is built, the house of God is built. 
And we understand how significant it is for these people to see that the rebuild begins with God. Because they had forgotten God. They had forsaken Him. The people of God and their idolatry and disobedience and dishonoring of God had cost them everything. It had cost them everything. And much of the Old Testament is a patient reminder to his people that if they would not confess, repent, turn away from their sins, that exile was going to be the consequence. And Jeremiah tells us just how significant this is and just why Ezra begins with the fact that the rebuild begins with God. Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 2.13. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So Jeremiah is telling the people that they have committed two evils. They have forsaken God, this God who is the fountain of living waters, and then not only did they forsake him, they actually tried to be God. They tried to make space and provision for themselves, and it had left them thirsty. But the book of Jeremiah reminds us in Jeremiah 29, verse 10 through 12, you're probably familiar with verse 11. It says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You see, the rebuild begins with God because God never gives up on his people. He never gives up on you. This is huge. This is amazing. We need to understand this. We need to step into this because God cannot be unfaithful. The, the beginning of Ezra reminds us that in the 70 years when those people had forgotten about God, God never forgot about them. This is huge for me because in the last six weeks I've experienced loss like I have never experienced in my life. Two dear friends, one in a plane crash, one in a moral failure, two people who I would call any moment and ask them about anything. And in that moment, you can feel like there is no hope, there is, there's no way out of this, and the book of Ezra starts and it reminds us that God never forgets us. He is always working out his plans. When Ezra 1 starts, the 70 years is up, and in those 70 years, he never forgot. He never failed. He never stopped thinking about them. He never stopped preparing a way for them. 
he was ready to fulfill his promises. And he will use any means necessary to bring his plans to pass, including stirring the heart of a pagan king named Cyrus. God was willing to stir the heart of Cyrus to cause his plans to come to pass. There is so much hope in Ezra 1.1 that we can't even embrace it and understand it. That God is willing to stir the heart of even a pagan king to cause his word to be fulfilled. And this promise is good news. It isn't cheap that the vision for Israel is rich And that word in Jeremiah 29 is that he has a plans for a welfare. Not a welfare system like we talk about, but that word means shalom. In other words, he has plans for universal peace for his people. That in spite of how sad and broken and hurting and decimated your relationships or your job or your your building or whatever it might be, God has plans And it's peace. God loves you that much. That in spite of your sin, he's provided a way for you. And it is his plans and his promises. You see, we worship a God of promise because he never gives up on his people. And when we understand this, we can step into the rebuild process of God's house because we know that it begins with him. And it's about him. And if it's for him and about him, we can trust that his promises will be fulfilled. We can trust him. You see, the rebuild begins with God because he never gives up. And because he's the rescuer. See, there was nothing that the people of Israel were going to do to cause God to love them more. There was nothing they could do to cause God to bring them out of Babylon, out of exile. It had to be God, the rescuer, who would bring about this to happen in the life of Cyrus. You see, if they would have picked it up and tried to do it in their own power, here's what would have happened. They would have immediately run out of resources. But because God was the one that was rebuilding this city... And God was the one who stirred the spirit of Cyrus. And God was the one that caused him to make the proclamation. Then God was going to provide the resources. Then God was going to bring about, no matter what destruction or discouragement or distraction would come about for the people of God. We're going to see that all throughout the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Nothing could stop God. You see, no matter how mysterious it seems, God always keeps his word. No matter how unreasonable it may seem to people, God keeps his word. And if God makes a promise of anything, God will keep that promise. You see, the rebuild begins with God because he never gives up on his people. And the rebuild begins with God because he is the rescuer. If there's anything I want you to hear this morning and walk away with, is if you want to see restoration happen in your family, if we want to see restoration happen in this city, if we want to see change happen in our lives, it's not going to be because we pick up ourselves. It's going to be because God 
intervenes. You couldn't save yourself. That's why Jesus had to come and live the life that you could not live. That's why Jesus had to die the death you deserved. That's why Jesus had to go into the grave that you could not raise yourself up from. That's why Jesus had to rise from the dead and supernaturally come into your life and cause you to believe that he is the one who forgives you of your sins. You could not do that. So the rebuild always begins with God because he's the rescuer and because he never gives up. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to step into that, the rebuild requires a reordering of your life and loves. The rebuild requires a reordering of your life and loves. Look at chapter 2 very briefly with me this morning. It says, now, verse 1, Now these were the people of the province who came up out of captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive into Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvay, Rahum, and Bana. And if you read the rest of the chapter, we're not going to do that this morning because, man, I'd butcher all of these names. I kind of butchered some of those. But you see, God never forgets any single person. He cares enough to include them in his record and just how many. The names. And just how many of them. The numbers. And the details. And if you go to the end of the chapter, verse 58 through 62, it says, All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. The following were those who came up from those places. I'm not going to tell you those. I'll, I'll mess them up. Though they could not prove their father's houses or their descendant, whether they belonged to Israel. And then he gives another list of sons. Verse 62, they sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. God is doing something significant here. He is setting back into order. He's setting things back into order. He says, you can't come to this thing, this rebuild of my house on your own, under your own terms. It's going to require a reordering. And it's significant that he doesn't start with the walls, but he starts with the house of God. And I want to point some specific things out about the temple that are going to help us to see how the rebuild requires a reordering of your life. Some of us have forgotten about the significance, or maybe we don't know the significance of the temple. But there were things like the inner courts and the outer courts. There were the Holy of Holies, right? 
There was the structure. The structure had purpose. You can see all of this in the Old Testament. You can see the sacrifices. All of these things, the inner courts, the outer courts, the Holy of Holies, all of the standing up and the sitting down, all of the robes, everything that was required for the house of God to run was so that the people could see who God was and just how worthy he was of everything. They were required to bring their first fruits for sacrifice. This goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, right? Where Cain kills Abel because he provides a sacrifice that's not pleasing to God. Why? Because he's holding back. He's holding back his best thing, the thing that God has called him to do, and he holds it back. And he gets called out for it, and he kills his brother. You see, the sacrifices even point to us the, significant, the significance that he is worthy of all of our life and all of our loves. Even the materials that were used to build the temple have significance, and it points to the fact that God is worthy of everything. And so the Bible gives us the book of Ezra, God gives us the book of Ezra to bring insight to the fact that the people of God need to rebuild the house of God so that they can reorder their life and love around him. And I think this is important because we can begin to think that the house of God really isn't all that important. We can begin to believe, you know what, if I don't come on Sunday, it's really not that big of a deal. We can begin to get flippant about it and say, you know what, this is just another building where we can do all kinds of things, but this is the house of God. We're required to take care of it, and, and we're required to make it look nice as, nice as possible, as nice as we can afford, not because we like it and it's for us and it's a reflection on us, but this is God's house. And so Ezra is here to remind us the significance of this. You see, the rebuild of the walls will happen to establish a perimeter, but God isn't in the business of putting us in a position where we don't need him. And so the very first thing he does is say to rebuild the house of God. Now this is important. This reordering of our lives and loves is important because he is worthy of all of our love. He's worthy of all of our love. See, God wants to rebuild the house because it reorders our life around him. Think about what Paul says in Colossians 1, 15 through 18. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, in everything, he might be preeminent. 
You see, Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of God's rescue for his people, and it's in the house of God that we're reminded of that. It's in the temple that God's people in the Old Testament were reminded of that. It's in this house we come in week after week that we're reminded that God is preeminent, that he is here, that he is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy of all of our love, all of our life. And so God seeks to rebuild the house of God first through his people because it's in that place that God's people remember that he's preeminent. The reason why we encourage you to come in here week after week and not miss is because the weeks you miss are all the more opportunities to remember and be reminded that he's not preeminent. You see, everything in this world is is training you towards not believing that God is preeminent. That's why small groups are so important, because we all need that weekly check-in with brothers and sisters who remind us, you know what, God is preeminent. It's why we need to have discipleship relationships with one another where we lift weights and we hang out and we encourage each other and we pray for each other. Whatever that thing is for you, where you have someone who looks you in the eyes and can tell whether you believe that God is preeminent or not. It's why we sacrifice so much to to try to get this building. It's so that we can be an outpost here in the city of Winchester, a permanent outpost to believe and help people understand that Christ is preeminent. Not a brewery, not a restaurant. Those are all great things, but at the end of the day, that's not preeminent. There is one God who will Last ever, for everlasting, who stands over time, who's the ruler over time, who reminds us that he is preeminent. And so we trust in him, we believe in him. And the rebuild requires us reordering our life and loves because he is worthy of our love. But also because he is the source of renewal and rescue. You see, in this book, we're going to see some amazing things. We're going to see God reestablishing his house through the provision of goods. We're going to see him reestablish things like the royal priesthood who would help point God's people to the fact that he was preeminent. We're going to see him providing from the craziest places We're going to see a city rebuilt throughout this study. But ultimately, what I hope we see is that the rebuild wasn't just for the people of God in the Old Testament. See, the rebuild is for you and me. That God would be preeminent in our lives. And that we would see him as the source of renewal and rescue in our lives. Because listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. He said this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What's God saying to us through the words of Jesus? He's saying 
that you need to reorder your life and your loves around him. That's what he's saying to us this morning, Mosaic. He's saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That the rebuild of the house of the Lord requires a reordering of our life and our loves around him. And Jesus can settle for nothing less than being first and preeminent. I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, sometimes I can make that verse, seek first the kingdom of God, say things it doesn't say. We often think about that verse in this way. We say, seek God first, then your family, then your friends, then your health. We make it a list. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, seeking me first isn't among another list of other priorities. Being first doesn't simply mean in an order of a list. It's like this. In your relationship with your spouse, seek him first. In your job, seek him first. In your neighborhood, seek him first. In your friendships, seek him first. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I need to be preeminent in everything. In every spot in your life, seek him first. In your career moves, seek him first. That's what it means to surrender your life to him. That's what it means to surrender everything, to live, love, and labor for the glory of Christ. And that's why the book of Ezra starts with the house of the Lord because it's in the house of the Lord that we're reminded that he is first in everything. It's in the house of the Lord that we're reminded that he's preeminent over everything. It's in the house of the Lord that we're reminded over and over that he does not forget his people. See, it's, it's why every, every week we come in here to celebrate the resurrection of God from the dead. Why? Because we're reminding each other, we're singing to God and to each other every week that our God does not forget us, that he is for us. He is not against us, that he loves us. And so we do the most reasonable thing, which is to seek him first. It's the most reasonable thing we could do. The most reasonable thing that you and I could do is to not seek our career first, is to not think how we could put more money in our retirement account first. It's about how we could support the rebuild of the house of the Lord first. It's about how we could see God renew our hearts and our loves and our affections towards him first because he's preeminent. So whether you're here today and you're discouraged or you're here today and you just feel great, you feel great like everything's going good, all of us need this reminder. We need this reminder to rise and rebuild because everything begins with God. He does not forget us. He never gives up. He's our rescuer. And he is worthy of all of our love and our affection.
If in the 70 years of the wickedness of God's people, he didn't fail to keep his promises, he won't forget you. So let's come to him and see him as our source of renewal. Charles Spurgeon said this as we close. If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. If he is something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. Jesus will settle for nothing less than all of our affections. Because he's worthy of that. Would you stand with us as we pray?